Welcome back. We're in episode 71 and continuing the assignment at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C. So let's jump right in. One of the places I got to visit often was Switzerland. I was able to represent NDU at the NATO Symposium on the Trafficking of Human Beings. This is a critical global issue across all NATO defense universities, and for me, it was more than eye-opening to the issue. On my return, we quickly implemented a program at the NDU library and at the colleges to focus on the global issue in the curriculum. Our consortium of military institutions also met often in Geneva, and Geneva is interesting, to be sure. It's a beautiful city, and the country is also absolutely gorgeous. It's a very international city, and it seemed like everyone I met was from another country. Due to its location, Switzerland has four official languages. They are French, German, Italian, and Romanche, although the latter is far less spoken and being phased out according to most of the literature that you can read online. So in Geneva, the language predominantly spoken is French. Now, I took French in high school for, I think, two years, and living in northern New York, so close to the Canadian border, it was considered more French-Canadian French. And I remember that there was a class trip to France, I didn't get to go, and the biggest takeaway was that their French was looked down upon in France. So uh, I took French two years ago, or Canadian French two years ago. As I recall, I wasn't very good at it, and it was a long time ago by now. I tried to remember some of the words, and some of it did come back, although most places spoke English just fine. And as I mentioned, it is a very international city. As you would expect, there were watchmakers everywhere and banks on every street corner. The architecture, too, was just beautiful. And there is a lake, Geneva, in Geneva, that has a most amazing water fountain that goes over the lake itself. And it is, again, just a very beautiful place to visit. So I would try to remember some French, and some places only spoke French. And so this is a really odd thing. Now, my Korean isn't that good either. But for some reason, when they would speak to me in French, I would respond in Korean. And I don't know why, but it just happened a couple of times. And I guess in my mind, I was thinking, if you're going to speak a language I don't know, I'm going to speak a language that maybe you don't know. Anyway, it was kind of funny. But I did that in other places, too. And I don't know why I did it. It was really, really odd. A bit later, I get another trip to Switzerland, and this time it's to Lucerne. Now, Lucerne is absolutely gorgeous. It's nestled in the Alps and just a very cute, smaller town with snow-capped mountains in the background. Knowing I was going well in advance, I decided that I would do my best and brush up on common phrases in French. And I was pretty excited that I think I knew enough phrases to at least speak somewhat intelligently. I get to my hotel, and in the best French that I could muster, I tell them who I am and that I have a reservation. The desk agent, in perfect English, said, We speak German here. 
Ah, so now I get it. Depending on where in Switzerland you are and the country that is the closest border, that's the language that is spoken there. And while that makes sense, I know I have zero knowledge of German. One of the benefits of traveling with NDU was that I learned a lot about the different parts of the world that I might visit again for vacation. And I do go back to Switzerland. And that was another amazing trip that I'll share with you as we get to that part of the journey. And also by then, I have a mobile phone that has the ability to take photos because during my time at NDU, I was still on a non-camera wielding mobile phone. I did have a work BlackBerry. Oh, do you remember those? Isn't it crazy that that was the most predominant business and for many personal devices uh, back in the day? And I do like those tactile buttons to type with versus the ones that we have on the mobile phones today. It was much easier, especially as I've gotten a bit older. The next trip was to Bulgaria. This was simply an amazing trip. It was my first trip to Eastern Europe, and again, my eyes were open to such a different country. This trip was to represent NDU to pave the ground for an enhanced joint curriculum for this new NATO country, and I worked with the Minister of Defense. That was the other amazing part of the job, that interacting with senior leaders around the world and working to improve professional military education was rewarding, to be sure. There are many things to share about this amazing trip and country, and I want to share just two things that were really quite amazing. First, going to the oldest monastery and one of the oldest convents was really amazing. I've been to Italy and the Vatican, and both were very religious places in the world. And from my view, these were very spiritual places, especially the convent. When you go in, it was a feeling of calm that you didn't have even in the Vatican. The small, I'm sorry, the building was relatively small, and it had murals painted on the stone walls, and some were original and some were renovated due to fires or structural repair, and they would paint the same mural extended on those areas that were replaced. And while located far from anything else, it was one of the most interesting places I visited. It was just a small building in the middle of a large farmland area. And what I'll say is that when you looked inside the inside of the building, there was an area that is... is cut off from visitors where the dead are buried. And when you go in that inner area and look, you do have this spiritual feeling. And I'm not Catholic, and I will tell you that even still, it was something that I've never experienced anywhere else in the world. The other unique thing about this is the wine. Now, let me tell you, I have never had Eastern European wine before this trip, and it was absolutely amazing. Every single bottle that I experienced was perfect. And this is when you could still bring liquids onto the plane. And so I had packed my bag with as many bottles that that bag could hold in my carry-on luggage. When I got to the airport lounge, it was for an early flight back home, and I settled into my seat and went and got a final glass of red wine despite the early morning. 
Then I opened my bag to try to repack it for the trip home because I could tell that it was a little bit off um, sideways, if you will. So a customer service staff member sees me doing this repacking, and she says to me, you must like wine. And I said, I like your country's wine. It is delicious. And I'm even having a glass this early in the morning before leaving to get that last sip of your delicious wine. And she smiled. She walked off and came back just a few minutes later with a bottle of wine. She said, here, this is for you as a gift. Oh, my. Those bottles lasted quite a while after I got home. I think at least three years. And I held off and joined them with friends. And I would get back to this part of the world 20 years later for a trip of the lifetime. It was perhaps the most amazing trip that I've been on. And I promise that you won't want to miss that when we get to that point. Last week, I teed up that the energy crisis of the early 2000s came about and I had to drive from Arlington to Fort McNair in Washington, D.C., It was just about seven miles, and the traffic can be a bear sitting there wasting precious gas. And I wondered, could I ride a bike to and from work? I had a Trek mountain bike, and I did bike, but not really that much, and really only for recreation. And there were two concerns. We had a gym in the building, and yet you had to be a paid member to use it. My boss gave approval to use the showers when I got to work, and so that was solved. The other was, can I keep my bike in the office? And the answer was also yes. So I put work clothes in my office, and I tested the ride to work, and it went pretty good. Going to work was on a downhill trajectory, and that was good. That also meant that going home would be an uphill trajectory, and, oh well, The first day went great. It was nice to get out and get to the base by bike. It was about 80% on bike trails and 20% on roads. And if you haven't been to Arlington, Virginia, they actually have more miles of bike trails than roads. It's very bike friendly. I think, in fact, they won an award as either being the most bike friendly or the second most bike friendly city in America. After a short time, maybe just a week or so, I decided this was great, and I thought I probably should get a better bike. I found a giant brand hybrid bike. It had mountain bike handlebars and road bike components. The shorter frame was great for the office, and the road components meant it was also faster. Change isn't easy, and I had never ridden a road bike with what to me were odd handles, so I liked the hybrid bike. It was red, and it was fast. I started keeping track of the savings in gas, and it added up pretty quickly. I lost that file in an unfortunate loss of my data a couple years ago, but I know that the savings were starting to add up pretty fast because I'm not buying gas hardly at all. In fact, I'm riding my bike almost every day as long as rain wasn't in the forecast. And there were a few days during this time that a rain shower would pop up and I would get an alert. I would tell my boss, I got to go, and I would leave a little early. It was never much more than 15 or 20 minutes, but I did leave early to get home quickly. 
And I remember one time, especially, I got home in just 18 minutes when it normally took about 20 minutes, 22 minutes to get home because I was going so fast and just barely missed the rain coming down. I was so much into biking at this time that I also started to bike to do all of my errands. If I had to go somewhere, I was going on my bike. In fact, I would go to the commissary in two trips rather than drive just one trip. I remember one morning, I decided, you know, I think I'll just drive in today. It was one of those days when you wake up and the day starts off a bit sluggish. I drove out of the garage and saw a guy on his bike. I turned the car around and biked to work. On average, I was biking at least four days a week and often every day, depending on the weather. Then it happened. I was coming around a tight corner on the trail that has a blind spot and another bike came down from the other direction, which didn't know that the blind spot existed or maybe they did and didn't care. And they hit me head on. I was thrown into the side of the trail that was closely adjacent to the highway. And here's the odd, maybe even sad part. I was laying on the side of the road and no one stopped. Finally, someone did call 911 and the fire department arrived. I was taken to the hospital and I said, wait, what about my bike? We'll take it back to the firehouse and you can pick it up after you get home. I had a broken bone right below my eye and needed quite a bit of dental work. The doctor told me that if I hadn't worn a helmet, it would have been less damaged because the helmets came underneath mine and caused the damage. Anyway, I had a GPS device on my bike, and you'll see why that was a very good thing. At Fort McNair, there was a small medical clinic run by the Army from Fort Myer, and that's where I got my medical treatment for normal issues like when you had a stuffy nose or whatever. NDU also had a medical staff who was responsible for routine appointments for the students at the National War College and ICAF. And at the time, the doctor on staff was an active duty full colonel. Remember when I said there were those who were not enamored that I was titled assistant vice president as a lieutenant colonel because it was a GM-15 or full colonel billet. I had no interaction with this doctor until this bike accident. It was clearly the other guy's fault. He hit me at fast rate of speed and took off, and the evidence proved that. My boss called me in and said that the medical director was going to suggest to the boss, to the commander, that the accident was not in the line of duty. Now, this is ridiculous. How could that even be? It was coming home from work, and secondly, it was an accident. If you have an accident, it's still line of duty because you're active duty. I showed Jim my GPS. It showed that at the time of the accident, I was traveling about three miles an hour because I was slowing down for that blind spot on the trail. The colonel was questioning whether I was wearing a helmet. Well, yes, I was. It was even in the medical report. But first, off base, it's not required in the Commonwealth of Virginia for anyone over the age of 16. And yet, since I was coming home from work, it's required for cyclists to wear a helmet on every military installation, regardless of the local ordinances. 
I told my boss that I was going to go to the inspector general because this was clearly harassment by the colonel, and he dropped the issue. I don't know what his intent was, and while I have my ideas, it was just crazy to say the least. As bad luck would have it, I would be hit by a car on my bike about a year later. It wasn't nearly as serious, surprisingly, and at the time I still had to go to the hospital. And once again, the colonel stuck his nose in my situation, and it was dismissed much quicker this time. The rest of my tenure at NDU, I continued to bike back and forth to work. Even in winter, I got winter cycling gear and would bike as long as the outside temperature was above freezing. Why? Well, when you're on a bike and it's cold outside, the wind chill is much lower. It's the same as when they compute the wind chill from wind during the winter. Traveling on a bike is like a headwind at whatever speed you're traveling at, and my average speed over the course of this time was about thir- between 13 and 16 miles an hour. At the end of the day, the reason I started to bike was because of the price of gas. It was great exercise, and every day you got outside when you could think about、uh, all kinds of things, and I had the route down to a science. By the time I left NDU, there were several folks that were biking to work. Here's another great story that gave me one of the most amazing experiences during my time at NDU. The chairman was supposed to go to India for an Association of Southeast Asian Nations or ASEAN meetings. The host was the Minister of Defense of India, and the chairman couldn't go, and so he asked the NDU president to attend on his behalf. The NDU president is a three star general. This was early in his tenure, and for some reason he couldn't attend, and so it went down to my boss, who was, while、well, a civilian, a general officer equivalent, and he also couldn't go. The meeting was academically focused, and while you'd think that there were others well in advance of my grade, I think the timing was such that I got to go on this mission. And maybe it was because I was an Asian American, or maybe it was just pure luck. Anyway, it was amazing. I was representing the United States, and therefore I was going to be treated as such as the chairman would have been treated when he visited. It was in Delhi, and of course, my first time to India. My seat was next to the United Kingdom, and the big American flag was behind me. I was pretty proud to be representing the United States. I was the lowest ranked person at the event, and I was advised in advance to wear civilian attire under the title of Assistant Vice President for Academic Affairs. It was not only amazingly interesting to be in this meeting and share in the discussion. During the trip, we were treated to some of the best Indian food that I'm sure was around because of the sponsor of the trip and the attendees that were attending the conference. And I'll tell you that while it was interesting, I'm really not a fan of Indian food and I'm still not, but that's okay. It was still very interesting. The biggest side activity was a trip to the Taj Mahal. We would fly from Delhi to Agra. And then there was a short bus ride from Agra Airport to the Taj Mahal. At the airport, since it was a domestic flight, there was almost no security. The security thing that you walked through was actually unplugged. Yet that was a little concerning. 
I was seated on the plane next to a Vietnamese general. He spoke some English, but not a lot. And we were handed a lunchbox as we entered the plane, so we were exploring the contents. What I remember most about the contents is that there was a very large fruit that was green and had a outside skin that was a little bit bumpy, and I don't know what kind of fruit it was. And we were both very curious about the food that was in our snack box. The general had his seat reclined, and we both had our tray tables down, exploring the box. We're about to take off, and the flight attendant comes down the aisle and taps us on the shoulder and says, "We're about to take off, so please be careful." Hmm. Okay. So the plane won't crash if the table, if the tray table is down. We get to Agra and are loaded onto several buses. Our group was large enough that we had three large tour buses, and since I was a representative from the United States, I was on the front of the first bus and had a translator sitting next to me. In front of the buses was a jeep with armed military in it, and behind the buses was an ambulance with another jeep with armed military. We're going along the narrow roads to the Taj Mahal, and I see donkeys along the way. With what looks like spray paint on them in all fluorescent colors, and I asked the translator why they're painted. He smiled and he said, "So the farmer knows which ones are his." We're traveling through some small towns, farmland, and it was very interesting to see the countryside of India. Two of the military in the jeep in the front of the caravan are waving red flags on each side, and I ask what they're doing. And the translator says that when there is traffic ahead of us, it tells them to get out of the way for the military caravan. We didn't have to stop at any signs along the way, and there was an intersection where the men are waving their flags wildly because there's a motorcycle coming toward the caravan down that road at the intersection. The motorcycle doesn't yield and hits the jeep. The two men jump out of the jeep, weapons raised. And they drag the motorcycle and the guy to the side of the road, and we proceed on our travel. The ambulance also doesn't even stop to help him, and I'm hoping that he was okay. I'm sure that they would not have left him if he wasn't. As we approach the Taj Mahal, it's glistening in the sun, and it is truly a most amazing structure. We get to the Taj and unload to protect the marble. You have to wear booties over your shoes, and by chance, some were blue and some were red. The Vietnamese general who sat next to me got red booties, and so he had red on his cap, his uniform, and now his shoes. And we joked about it. As you may know, the Taj Mahal was built as a place for a resting place for the man's wife, and the five, the four columns that you see on the Taj Mahal. Are slightly tilted inward, so that if there was an attack, they would come in and protect the、um, the remains of his wife. On the walls, there were murals, or that there was artwork etched in them of vines and flowers, and it really was quite beautiful. On the last day of the conference, a young officer came up to me and introduced himself as being from China. He said that his boss wanted to meet me, and so I also made it a point to look for him before we left. It was simply to exchange pleasantries, and so that was also very cool. He wanted to just make sure that he made contact with the American representative.
These types of opportunities, not only this one to India, were unforgettable experiences for me, and perhaps more, a chance to be a part of diplomacy through education. Whether it was through the NATO alliance or other visits, we had the opportunity at many countries to help looking at the strategic education of senior officers. Often, we had to be careful to temper our recommendations to both the fact that many didn't have anywhere near the resources we had at NDU or the capability, and so we'd get a sense of the situation and adjust our visits to meet their needs in a way that was as practical as possible. Next week, I'll share another one of the most memorable visits when I went to Keith, Ukraine, 20 years ago to help them with their National Defense University's development for senior leaders. And with that, I will also share some conversations I had with a former colleague when we were at NDU about what was unfolding in Ukraine. With that, I'm also thinking about my future since I'm coming up for consideration for promotion and about what's next in my career. It's really a confusing time in some respects, and yet at the same time, I had thought I was, had come to NDU with my plans already in mind. I might have mentioned this before, and my journey, well, going through my journey of life through the podcast has been quite interesting for me personally. And sometimes it's hard to remember everything. And I've used my military records as a guide um, to try to remember some of the things that uh, I got to do while I was at each of my assignments, including, of course, NDU. And I was flip, flipping through my official passport that I shared a photo of last week that also reminds you of, or reminds me rather, of, of where I was and where I got to go to. And I'm going to share some pictures of that with some of the visas that I had from that official passport in the episode photos this week. I hope you are having a great week and enjoy the startup of the holiday season. It's certainly bustling here with both Hanukkah and Christmas as the season gets into full swing. We'll see you next week and thank you again for listening and sharing the podcast. I really appreciate it.